I'm Alec Cavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, a nice breakdown of the first silly season domino to fall over at Levine Family Racing, what it means for all the players involved, and what it will look like next year. A quick look back at a memorable Bristol weekend, and we play Two Truths and a Lie, which I promise will leave you with something to think about heading into the weekend. But first, as always, this is episode 31 of Positive Regression. This is the Robbie Gordon edition. David, Robbie Gordon, a fun, talented personality in the Cup Series, great all-around racer. If you want to use a big word, uh, mercurial, mercurial, is that the right way? <laughs> um, he embraced the, the don't give a F attitude before that was even really a saying. That, that's how I, that's how I would describe Robbie Gordon. Uh, long career, not overly productive though during his time with Richard Childress, but that's when he was in the 31 car. I was taught this very early on in my first stop working at a marketing firm. Uh, I was taught this about Robbie Gordon. I was told to assume that he is pissed off. <laughs> I asked, is, who, who is he pissed off? Why is he pissed off? And he said, no, no, no. It, there's, there is no why. Just assume that he is pissed off. And from that point onward, everything he did, said, thought, made perfect sense. Um, there is, if you go to his Wikipedia page right now, there is a section devoted to controversies, which includes all of his run-ins with every driver. And it's a pretty sizable section of of his wikipedia page i actually my memory of him in the 31 car alan i hope you also remember this but it was the very first ever chase race at new hampshire motor speedway robbie gordon early in the race wiped out three chase drivers <laughs> uh greg biffle jeremy mayfield and tony stewart and those three guys don't say anything out loud right like they don't yeah you're not gonna get pushed back from them um, yeah, ruined their day, <laughs> affected the playoffs. Uh, they showed up the next week at, I believe, Dover with o bright orange t-shirts that looked like, uh, Robbie's singular wireless car. And they said something to the effect of stay far away from me. I, I, I wasn't a fan of Robbie, not to say that I, di I disliked Robbie. He was the first driver in the Robert Yates 28 car following Davey Allison's death. If you remember 93, he filled in. He was a apparently a Ford development driver, well thought of uh, by Ford, but they put him in the car at Talladega and he wrecked out of that race by himself. A lot of people wreck at Talladega. That's not that big of a deal, but it was definitely the moment for this Davey Allison fan to say, oh no, that's not Davey in that car. Uh, so from that point on, I followed his career with great interest, but Alan, I will tell you this, his best season came at age 37. It was the 2006 season. And if you can recall, he began running Robbie Gordon Motorsports as a cup series program in 2005. He drove for himself, one of the last uh, driver car owners, uh, and actually drove the number seven as a, a nod to Alan Kowicki, the a championship winning driver car owner. Um, 
But Alan, I want to I'm going to give you a, a little bit of trivia here. Uh, actually, I might, I might just put it in game form for you. From 2005 to 2008, who was Robbie Gordon's manufacturer? Oh, Chevy. I don't remember. I remember a lot about it. If you would, if if Not? you said all <laughs> all of them, that's correct. <laughs> I got two of them right. No, four <laughs> four four years, four manufacturers. Wow, that's weird. Uh, I'm, have you met Robbie? I mean, that, it's, that's, that kind of goes with the character, right? Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll end my thought on a positive note. There was, uh, the, the Dinner with Racers podcast, which th- there have just been some fantastic interviews with, um, drivers, uh, past and present, but there was an episode with Tony Stewart and they asked Tony what driver did not fulfill his potential. Uh, and he said it was Robbie Gordon. And I, I, you know, I'll, I'll take that to mean something. Um, Tony has been a good evaluator in the past and he's had run-ins with Robbie in the past. That probably wasn't an easy thing to say, but he said, uh, something along the lines of if Robbie just got his head out of his ass, he would have been a phenomenal driver in NASCAR. So I do think about Robbie, uh, kind of in a what if, uh, scenario for his career. He was, Wildly talented, well uh, thought of for his driving ability, but he got in his own way a lot. Yeah, well-rounded, a racer's racer, as cliche as that sounds, but, you know, Indy cars, Baja trucks, um, you know, over always on some continent racing something, obviously got wins in stock cars. Uh, Piece of trivia, you know, for you youngins out there listening, he won the New Hampshire race in November in 2001 that was postponed because of 9-11 and, and New Hampshire ended up being the last race of the year and that was his first career win uh and one of the other things I once looked up I mean he had his first stock car start way back in 1991 David he is one of a few people to have raced against Dale Earnhardt Richard Petty and Jimmy Johnson there aren't many and mm. Robbie Gordon is one of them which I find interesting. And finally, I just remember uh, an encounter. I worked in Evansville, Indiana. I got to cover the brickyard back in the day. And when Robbie Gordon was an owner, I don't know, naive me, I said, you know, with all the 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 stuff that can come with it, all the headaches, so why be a car owner? And he just said, because I can. And then that was it. That was the answer. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, I, will, I, I won't ask any more dumb questions ever. <laughs> and that sounds apropos. I, you know what? I'm, I'm holding in my hand, which I know works terrific for an audio only podcast, uh, and a DVD produced by NASCAR images. They produced three driver DVDs in the mid 2000s. They did one for Tony Stewart. They did one for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And the third one was for some reason with Robbie Gordon. <laughs> and the DVD is called Extreme and the narrator is Travis Pastrana. Wow. Yeah, so I own that. There's <laughs> there's some trivia for me. I have that in my possession. Uh, that is real. So, huh, yeah, Robbie Gordon. Awesome. Great start. Episode 31, the Robbie Gordon edition. Well, let's start off the, the meat of the show, if you will, this episode. Big news over the past weekend was the first domino to fall in the silly season. Not quite unexpected, but official in terms of Matt Benedetto being told he will not be back at Levine Family Racing. And The Athletic, and maybe some others, I believe, but The Athletic reporting that the Christopher Bell to LFR deal is done. 
Uh, David, Christopher Bell, we know his talent. We know his stats. We know the pipeline, the investment Toyota has made. You document it greatly here all the time. He is the number one cup prospect, according to our prospects episode. But for Levine Family Racing, I, I can only see positives. But, I mean, there is the legitimate question. Why do this? What do we? How do we break this down? Christopher Bell to Levine Family Racing. This is such an interesting transaction in that it is not as straightforward as people think, nor does it contain any kind of backroom greed. Um, it is a good move for Toyota. It's an obvious move if you're Christopher Bell, you're finally in the Cup Series. But for LFR, this is a bid to go from being a consummate middle pack team to taking advantage of the most powerful manufacturer currently in the sport to better the future. Uh, right now, look, sponsorship support is fleeting. It's not often reliable. Uh, I think FedEx is the only full season primary sponsor right now. I might be mistaken on that. But if you can't get sponsorship support, then manufacturer support is everything. And Bob Levine, LFR, they have to take this. They have to go all in for the future of the organization and to be uh, linked with Toyota for such an impactful move that involves taking on the driver that Toyota has spent a considerable amount of money nurturing in the Xfinity series and truck series. And that is what's happened. It's not, it's not unfair to Matt DiBenedetto. He did willingly sign a one year contract. There was no guarantee beyond that, but from the outside and even according to industry insiders, all this is is an organization trying to make itself better in a cutthroat industry. The NASCAR Cup Series is amazingly competitive. LFR is just trying to keep up with the Joneses and be just as competitive. And I mean, that that's the why do this of it all is it makes the organization better. Absolutely. And it seems win-win, right? I mean, Toyota needs more uh, bodies, more entries, essentially, right? And Levine is there to to fill that gap, especially with Furniture Row gone. And with the charter system now, there's only so many to go around. I think we may see more of this um, de facto, you know, extensions of JGR. And uh, I don't know how much detail, if any, you have about more support possibly going now that it's Christopher Bell, but it seems like it's win-win for everybody. I can't look at the books and unfortunately not win-win for Matt Benedetto. We understand that. But in, in terms of why do this, the reasons are obvious. Yeah. And, and it might be that LFR has now established itself as the, the young driver team because what happens after Christopher Bell exceeds his equipment and perhaps moves on to Joe Gibbs Racing? There are other drivers in this Toyota pipeline, whether it's Todd Gilliland, Chandler Smith, Haley Deegan. We've talked about a lot of them, uh, but they're going to move drivers through. They need to establish 
uh, a team somewhere. There is no more furniture row. And it is very expensive to pry away another organization that's currently already with a manufacturer. That's costly. Toyota is trying to take a cost-effective approach. I know they've spent a lot of money, but in building up LFR, a team already within the Toyota stable, they're making a cost-effective move. So from that standpoint, LFR has an eye on not just 2020. This is, is not just about next year. This is about five years, 10 years down the road. They're trying to make themselves more viable. And it never hurts to uh, go over and review. If you're, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, we appreciate you, of course. But, uh, David, uh, the stats, the numbers, the, the in-depth analysis of Christopher Bell, it does not lie. You do your radar charts in terms of how to how a, how good a driver is at gaining track position. There's a lot of color on Christopher Bell. Tell us why, um, you know, beyond the wins and beyond the finishes, beyond what we just see on the surface, what makes Christopher Bell so good at driving a race car? Yeah, I mean, for one, he's never not been a bad producer. Right now, he ranks third in Xfinity Series peer in one of the drivers he trails is Kyle Busch. Peripherally, he does pretty much everything very well at all kinds of racetracks. Uh, and I'm even more high on his road course ability than it seems the, the general NASCAR fan populace is. He is strong. He is arguably the top prospect in stock car racing. This is a no-brainer deal for for LFR and and consider and consider one more thing, Chris Bell. Before this year, I did a regression analysis just to find a projection if Chris Bell was to enter the Cup Series in 2019, uh, and he would have been a top 15 producer. And having said that, Matt DiBenedetto has just uh, crept beyond uh, the top 20. I believe he's 17th right now. But they are, they're moving from maybe the 20th best driver to potentially the 15th next year. And those are five big spots. Um, if we think about what LFR is as a team right now, it's the 22nd, 23rd fastest team in the cup series. And that's not cutting it. If you have aspirations for making the playoffs, uh, what they've done this year, what Mike Wheeler, the crew chief has done this year, has been call races that uh, amplify their strengths. And Mike Wheeler has made some pretty strong pit calls. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to take advantage of such good calls at the ends of stages because of their initial running positions prior to those pit cycles opening. And we're talking like maybe three or four positions better and they would be collecting stage points. And the more stage points they collect, the more viable they are as a fringe playoff contender. The gambit here is that Chris Bell is going to have a better initial running position than Matt DiBenedetto, which I don't think is far-fetched, even though Chris Bell doesn't have Cup Series experience. But if that delta diminishes and Chris Bell is running better at the beginning of cycles, assuming that all the equipment stays the same, then all of a sudden this becomes a playoff team. Hmm. So e even with the notion that LFR is building for the future, 
this this could be a playoff team that we're talking about. They've got to be one of the 16 best. They either have to win a race or they have to get on points. And most likely is they'll, they'll get in on points, but they have to have a driver that's able to put them in position to do that. And Bell, with all of these strengths, with the ability to do everything well, is the driver that would most likely put them in that initial position. Is there anything to the notion that, you know, Christopher Bell has always been in the toppest of top tier equipment. If suddenly you put him back in the pack in the 15th fastest car or the 19th fastest car, uh, we see a different Christopher Bell or just one that has to adapt suddenly to something he's not been a part of. We're going to learn a lot about Chris Bell in the first half of next season because of that. Now, I think it's telling that Toyota is choosing to do this now as opposed to prior to this season because the ride was available, right? It, it wasn't going to be Casey Kane or Regan Smith going into the new year. Toyota could have just as easily put Chris Bell and done the same deal uh, going into this season, but they didn't. And I believe that there was a lack of belief in what LFR could do as a team. They went from the 28th fastest car to the 22nd or 23rd fastest car, depending on the week this season. So they've made small gains. Matt DiBenedetto was a big part of that, but they've made those gains. And that's been enough for Toyota to look at it and believe that it's not going to be a situation that hurts Bell if they believe that it wouldn't have last year, then Bell would be in the Cup Series right now. So to me, I, I'm I'm not concerned about that just because of how Toyota structured the timing of when they brought Bell into LFR. But again, we're going to learn a lot. The first half of next year, Bell's going to see things that he hasn't seen before on a regular basis. Everyone is good on restarts. Passing is... um well, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, it's a man's game and it, he, and he's going to experience that firsthand. But these guys that tend to do well in the Xfinity series in regards to passing and restarts, uh, Ryan Blaney did that. Eric Jones did that. Chase Elliott did that. And their initial foray into the cup series was pretty good. So I would expect a, a good bit from Chris Bell. Final Christopher Bell question, I, or maybe an observation. I think there's a big assumption that it will be Jason Ratcliffe. I don't know what's been reported yet or if anything's official or what you may have heard. But, I mean, uh, the going assumption was, oh, he and Jason Ratcliffe will just climb together into the Cup Series. Jason Ratcliffe is a successful Cup Series crew chief in the past. He'll do it again with Christopher Bell. They've been together the last few years. But, David, you were the only one that that put out the notion that Jason Ratcliffe does not have experience with this package, so maybe it would be a detriment to pair Christopher Bell and Jason Ratcliffe together in the Cup Series. Uh, I just thought that was quite uh, an interesting observation on your part. Yeah, and and to be clear, I have no uh, inside knowledge um, as to what Levine Family Racing is going to do with this, but... Yeah, Jason Ratcliffe had a lot of success with Matt Kenseth at the Cup Series level, but he hasn't seen this rule package. And bringing him up with Chris Bell while Chris Bell is making this pretty incredible transition to a very competitive racing series, you got yeah, you have a rookie and and a guy that has never seen this rules package. I, I want I want one of that combination to be a veteran, and not only has Mike Wheeler 
dealt with this package. They seem to be having success with it right now. I mean, the speed was on display certainly at Bristol and in the, the stretch prior to that. And uh, he's been a, a a pretty dutiful strategist on behalf of Matt Benedetto. I'd I'd like to see that happen for Chris Bell in the instance of that. He isn't able to pass as prolifically as he did in the Xfinity series. He's going to need a little uh, positional supplementation, right? Like that's that's going to have to come, and somebody like a Mike Wheeler is going to have to do that. It might, it could, it could very well be Jason Ratcliffe, but the way Jason Ratcliffe has been approaching races in the Xfinity series is going to be far different than what he sees in the Cup series. So I don't know that that relationship needs to stay intact because the dynamic is going to change wildly. And just finally, the the other side of this, Matt Benedetto having a career year. What do you think this means for him? He has solidified his profile in an industry that is full of skeptics. And arguably, among the known free agents, he might be the best. Uh, he's positioned himself that well. Uh, we've learned that he can restart at the front of the field. That was a legitimate question we had because last year, 2018, he had exactly one preferred groove restart from inside the first seven rows all season. He's up to about 30 at this point um, in the season. Turns out he can do pretty well at that. His passing has improved. His production has also improved, as was expected, based on his age. The problem here, though is that this fall might not be a seller's market, Alan. I mean, there uh, there aren't a lot of known open rides. We know Front Row Motorsports came available uh, with David Reagan saying he was stepping away from full-time racing. Uh, so that's one. But beyond that, uh, we've talked about Stuart Haas in the past, but to part ways with Clint Boyer and Daniel Suarez, that would be you know, a, a pretty incredible thing for Stuart Haas to do, um, just based on the, the relationships with those two drivers. Um, so I don't know what, what happens for De Benedetto, but what we do know is that he has absolutely put himself in the best possible scenario in the instance that a top flight ride breaks free. Yep, and look, we have some answers, but they only lead to more questions, including the ones around Matty D. So we'll see what happens in the future. It'll be uh, something we will certainly discuss. And, and one reason why is because Bristol was so damn memorable because of what Matt Benedetto did and that run at the end and just coming out as Rocky and just all the storylines. As a storyteller, it's something we love doing, at least myself. You know, we love good stories to tell, and that certainly uh, put a great bow on what was a, an awesome Bristol weekend, at least from my perspective, just being there on pit road for the truck race, uh, seeing good action on both Friday and Saturday night as well. Um, but the cup race, David, we, we've discussed on this podcast before. Go back and listen if you, if you're a new listener, because I think it was a good discussion. Was it a good race? You know, what makes a good race? And, and for me, something I always point out is kind of the, the parody aspect, right? Different drivers leading a number of laps. In the race Saturday night, nine drivers led 20 or more laps. For me, in my definition of what a good race is, boom, that was it. A lot of drivers led a lot of laps, and I just that, – that is visually pleasing. I don't know what it is. Competition-wise, visually, I like the different storylines of different drivers 
you know, putting their nose in there for being a potential winner. That is what I'll remember about the cup race from that weekend. But overall, just a great weekend of racing. Ross Chastain being aggressive, not apologizing for it. That was awesome. Tyler Reddick, the, the aggressiveness, the comeback there on Friday. But, but the number of leaders on Saturday night was something that was really cool to me. Uh, if I may, I want to submit uh, something into that was it a good race argument. Just think about Denny Hamlin's night. Uh, he won the pole. He had the fastest car in the first quarter of the race. He had the fastest car in the fourth and final quarter of the race. But there was a 300-lap portion in the middle where that team couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> And, and, and honestly, it looked like all was lost, but the end of that race was racy enough where the car that was the fastest was able to make up ground, catch the leader and win the race. Not to sound skeptical, but you don't see that too often anymore in the NASCAR cup series with all the talk of clean air and downforce. But that was, I mean, that was a heck of a comeback. I mean, I, I don't know that there are too many tracks or races where you're going to see a car have that kind of up and down night. He had the speed, but he had to rebound from what was it an air gun now? I mean, it just a, a weird, bizarre night that turned out victorious for what's a really good team. I thought that was that was really interesting to see, just because I, we're, we haven't really been seeing that lately, if if at all, for the last few years. It was a, it was a good show. Is that a backhanded way of saying more short tracks? Hashtag. <laughs> uh you know what? I I want I just want more tracks where the drivers can put their talent on display. I don't like options being taken off the table. It can be it can be mile tracks, it can be mile and a half tracks, but that was. That was something else. I mean, that was really a marquee performance that is going relatively unnoticed, uh, probably because the the personal interest story that has become Matt De Benedetto, and he had a tremendous race in his own right. Um, but what the eleven driver and team and car uh, accomplished at Bristol across five hundred laps was uh, nothing short of an adventure novel. I mean, that was. That was, you know, that was pretty sporty. And I think all we've ever wanted was a racy Bristol track. Well, there you have it. I mean, there's, there's the evidence that they're making some grooves work. It might not be the bottom groove, but there were some grooves that were working on Saturday night. Yeah. And I know there are different runs during the season by certain teams, but maybe we are looking at the 11 as a championship favorite and emerging as one, especially in the last few weeks, the summer of Denny, uh, <laughs> last few weeks. But, uh, moving on, let's, um, look, we always enjoy figuring out different ways to bring you good nuggets of information even if it comes uh, at my expense and one game we like to play is two truths and a lie there are numbers out there some are deceiving some are true uh, and all will help you understand and give you a little bit better appreciation of what's going on out there on the track so I will be the victim in this game David and um I will try to be right, but I can't promise, but I know you have done some crack research and it will benefit all of us, even if I have to get some of these wrong. So let's do it. Two truths and a lie. Uh, uh, okay. And, and for our listeners, I'm not trying to pull a fast one on Alan. There is no, <laughs> there's no trickery. All of this is available right now on motorsportsanalytics.com. You can see all of these numbers. I am, I am only making up one thing out of the three nuggets, but we're going to hit cup, Xfinity and trucks. So 
First round, Alan, we're going to talk about uh, the NASCAR Cup Series. Play along at home. I have, uh, yep, I have uh, three nuggets. Two are true. One is false. Tell me which one's false. All right. Number one, Corey LaJoy, Ross Chastain, and Parker Kligerman all rank inside the top 25 in Cup Series Pier. That is number one. Okay. Number two, Matt DiBenedetto. I mentioned he's a good preferred groove restarter. He ranks as a better preferred groove restarter than Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, and Joey Logano. And the third nugget, Ricky Stenhouse ranks as a better restarter from the non-preferred groove in 2019 than Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, and Joey Logano. Which one is false? I have to imagine that the last one is false, that Ricky Stenhouse is not a better restarter from the non-preferred groove than Harvick, Logano, and I think you said Truex? Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, he's he's totally not. No, he uh okay, his, his restarting is just under 36% uh retention rate. That is below the series average. He has lost 50 spots on 39 attempts. He's never he's never been a prolific uh restarter across the years. He had last year there was a stretch where he had late race restarts that were all coming from the preferred groove. And there was a perception that, oh, Stenhouse is improving. He's really getting something out of his restarts. But no, turns out he was just getting really good lane assignment for a stretch. But yeah, that's it. But let, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's give Matty D yeah. some, some love here. He's better in the preferred group restart than Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson and Joey Logano. And he's, he's available, Alan. So good point. Yeah. You know what? Um, this is a short run world. Uh, I don't think we're going to take away stages. I think we're going to add them, if anything. Um, Matt Benedetto has set himself up to be, it's weird to say now, but a value signing for somebody. And let's, let's say it is front row motorsports. He becomes immediately their best driver and, mm-hmm. and maybe the best driver they've ever had. That's that's value, and, and it, it is available. I mean, that is something to be said for that. Good nugget there, and also shout out to uh, Corey LaJoy, Ross Chastain, and Parker Kligerman for being in the top twenty-five in uh, peer in production. So, getting yeah. doing good with the equipment that they are in. Yeah, uh, back markers for life. They uh, they are good at driving cars in circles. So good for them. Good for them. Um, okay, Xfinity Series round for you, Alan. Next up, one All for right. one. Boom. You you are one for one. You do, well well done, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. Nugget number one, and uh, there, there's a theme here. I'm, I'm actually sticking with junior motorsports. Right. So nugget number one, among the 20 fastest driver crew chief pairings during the fourth quarter of races, four of them include junior motorsports crew chief Taylor Moyer. Ah, I like that. Okay. Okay. Number two, the fastest car across the last five races belongs to none other than Justin Allgaier. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I'm just thinking the last five races. Okay. Number three, among series regulars, 
Michael Annette has the biggest percentage of completed laps inside the top 15. Ooh, those. That last one would really surprise me if it was true, which makes me think you're tricking me. So, I mean, completed laps amongst for series regulars is Michael Annette completed the most laps in the top 15. That is out there for me. But I'm going to say number two is false, David. I don't believe Justin Allgaier has been the fastest car in the series in the last five races. You got it right on the money. Bum! So Allgaier, <laughs> so so interesting here. All, if we if we're looking at cars that competed in all five of those races, uh, Allgaier has the second fastest car, and he's trailing Chris Bell in that regard. But there's a car that's been faster that didn't compete in uh, every race, and there may be some uh, questions as to legality, but it's the A.J. Allmendinger <laughs> entry from Colleg Racing. It's back this it's weekend. Very fast, Alan. So fast. Amazingly fast. Astonishingly fast over that stretch uh, on the road courses. But, okay, let let's let me hit both of those real quick. First, on, on Taylor Moyer and that eight car for Junior yes. Motorsports, great, I have Great to, topic. That is... That feels like the crap detail among junior motorsports crew chiefs is you have this car, and it's more than four drivers that have been in the car this year. He's had a lot of drivers in that car. But top 20 fastest across the fourth quarter of races, uh, Taylor Moyer with Ryan Truex ranks 10th. Taylor Moyer with Ryan Priest ranks 16th. Moyer with Jeb Burton ranks 18th. Moyer with Zane Smith yeah. ranks 19th. And... Gotta hand it to you. I mean, that can't possibly be easy. Maybe there isn't uh, the added stress of, you know, getting a driver into the playoffs or, you know, com- competing for a championship as you would with one driver. But having somebody new sit in your car every weekend just is a, is a chore. And I, and from all accounts, Taylor Moyer, per the metrics, has done uh, exceptionally well. And I remember I've covered, it was a big deal for me. I covered one Xfinity race. It was my first one ever this season and it was in Iowa and I had his pit. I had Zane Smith's pit and, and, you know, I I do my homework and talk with all the, the crew chiefs and talking with him, Moyer, um, that, that was something he brought up because Zane was going to be in the car for two consecutive races. And that was such a boon for both of them, both the driver and the crew chief. They were looking forward to having two, the same two, the combo. In back-to-back races, how big of a deal that was this season, and they performed great in Iowa that that race. So uh, that was cool to hear. That that was my giveaway anyway. That, that's why I just I, I I thought hopefully that was going to be true. That's why I leaned toward that. Okay, on that note, uh, let's go back to the third nugget. Uh, Michael Annette has the biggest percentage yeah. of completed laps wow. inside the top fifteen. Ninety-two point six percent of his laps that he's completed this season were 15th or higher. Uh, Justin Allgaier ranks second, and third is Tyler Reddick. That's probably more in line of what you'd expect. But if we extrapolated this out to include drivers that weren't doing this on a regular basis, Zane Smith would rank third. With Good for 90, him. 91.3% of his laps inside the top 15. And you know what? I wrote this nugget and I recall some of our listeners will remember our beta episodes. We had a Q&A uh, with our listeners. Someone asked, Zane Smith, jumping straight from ARCA to the Xfinity series, is he ready? Is this going to be too much for him? Uh, no. I mean, this is evidence of 
he's a young driver, but not making mistakes, staying on the track. And, and not only that, but running commensurate with his car's speed, that's all you can ask for from a young driver. I hope we see more of Zane Smith going forward. Um, I think he has had about as good of a year as you could expect based on his lack of experience coming into 2019. Good stuff. Good nuggets there from the Xfinity series. Let's move on. The truck series. This one, I'm 2-0 now, and now I feel the most pressure because I'm allegedly, you know, I'm, I'm with the truck series for every single lap this season, so I really hope I get this one. You, you say allegedly like you're not really there. Well, I mean, I'm, I was going to say allegedly an expert, but I don't want to, you know, put myself okay. too high. But, like, I should be able to get this one in theory, right? I mean, I, I'm there every single lap. So now I feel like there's pressure. Okay. All right. I I, I believe in you. I, I think you can get this. So nugget number one, three Kyle Busch Motorsports drivers rank inside the top ten in peer. Okay. Number two, the fastest truck over the last five races belonged to Grant Enfinger. Okay. Number three, among Thorsport Racing's four drivers, just one of them, Johnny Sauter, has a positive surplus pass value. Huh. That's tough. Ooh. It surprised me it would be Johnny Sauter. Huh. All right. So let, let's just go over them again. Three Kyle Busch Motorsports drivers in the top 10 in Pier, you said? Correct. For the season. Yep. Yep. Um, Grant Infinger is the fastest over the last five races. Yes. And just one Thor Sport driver has a positive surplus value when it comes to passing. And that's Johnny Sauter. Maybe you're trying to trick me with the Johnny Sauter thing, and really it is only one Thorsport driver, but it's not Johnny Sauter. But I'm going to say Grant Infinger does not have the fastest speed over the last five laps because just for, for no reason whatsoever, I think it's Ross Chastain. So that's what I'm going to go with. Number two is false. Oh, winless Grant Infinger indeed no! had the fastest truck over the last five no! races. Yeah. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> All of Thor Sport Racing's drivers have positive surplus no, passing way values. Off, way that off. is that is a stacked roster at Thor Sport, at least uh, in regards to the Truck Series. Johnny Sauter ranks first in surplus passing value. Grant Infinger ranks second. Ben Rhodes ranks fifth, and Matt Crafton ranks sixth. Uh, they, uh, they can get it done, um, where, where they have lacked at times is, uh, speed or, or more, uh, more importantly, consistent speed. They don't have that. They have not, uh, gotten the number of wins that you would probably expect from a championship organ uh, winning organization of their stature. Uh, but, um, I'll return to KBM. Uh, they do have three drivers ranked in the top 10 peer. Alan, can you guess who they are? Kyle Busch. Greg, yep, Greg Biffle? Is Greg Biffle count? No, no. Oh, shizzle. Okay. Okay, here. Can, can, <laughs> I'll, I'll narrow it down. Minimum of four starts. Oh, minimum of four starts. So Chandler Smith's not in there either. He is not. Uh, top 10 in Pierre. Uh, Brandon Jones had a terrible Dover. Is it Kyle Bush? Um, is Brandon Jones one of them? 
He ranks ninth in pure. Ooh. And who else was in the 51? Uh, or the, oh, Christian Eckes. Uh, no, he's actually tied for 19th with no! Rafael Lassard. Uh, he's had four stars. Oh, okay. Not all in KBM stuff, though, or has he? You're overthinking this, man. Oh, what is it? Harrison Burton. Ah, damn it. I, I, eighth in uh... <laughs> Pierre, and, uh, and, and Todd Gilliland is 13th. Yep. So I, I eliminated them when they didn't make the playoffs. That was my bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, that's been up and down. And I think, um, uh, KBM, their, their drivers, uh, took it on the chin, uh, this year, but, uh, I, and maybe that's just based on how successful they've been in the past. Uh, but when you're following up guys like Eric Jones and William Byron and Christopher Bell, uh, yeah, most, most young drivers are going to underperform relative to what those three were able to do. That's what we've seen this year. Um, heck of a run for Chandler Smith this past weekend at Bristol. Um, that said, Harrison Burton, Todd Gilliland have probably not lived up to expectations that others provided for them, but, uh, they're not, uh, they're, they're not bad at this. It's just, uh, it hasn't, hasn't clicked to the same degree as, uh, those three aforementioned drivers, uh, that are already in the cup series. David, great game, two truths and a lie. But what you don't know is that there's a wild card round and you're going to play it right now. (laughs) Are you ready for the Cup Series edition of Two Truths and a Lie? Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. All right. Paul Menard has a higher relevancy rate than Eric Jones. That's number one. Relevancy Mm. is finishing in the top half of a field. Number two, Bubba Wallace crashes at a higher rate then Chase Elliott. And number three, both Jimmy Johnson and William Byron have six attempts on restarts from the preferred groove in the red zone. Byron has the better retention percentage. Which one of those is false, David? Wow. Paul Menard has a higher relevancy rate than Eric Jones. Bubba Wallace crashes at a higher rate than Chase Elliott. And both Jimmy Johnson and William Byron have the same number of attempts in the red zone from the preferred groove, and it's Byron with the better retention. Which one is false? I feel like you're re- you are really trying to make it close here. Um, oh yeah, they're all like within percentage points. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that is just that is mean. Um, I'm going to say Chase has crashed more than Bubba. I think that's the false one. You are correct. Good job, really? Mr. Analytics, wow. okay. Mr. Motorsports Analytics. It's close. Uh, Chase Elliott has crashed at 0.33 rate, and Bubba Wallace is at 0.29. So we're talking four percentage wow. points, but okay. the numbers uh, do not lie. But, yes, Paul Menard uh, has finished in the top half of the field at a uh, better or more times than Eric Jones has this season. But Eric Jones has just better top end, if you will. And uh, William Byron has a better retention percentage in the red zone, 83.3% to Jimmy Johnson's 66.67%. Yeah, yeah, I'm no, no surprise on the on the last one. It was between the the, the Menard and Jones was close. Yes, it though. was seventy five to yeah. seventy point eight three. 
Oh man, that's see, you're coming with the tricks. That's just rude. I thought I see. All right, okay. When we do this again, it's going to get a little dif- more difficult for you because you still went two out of three, and two out of three ain't bad. Boom! Never forget about the wild card round. We just made it up, but anyway. All right, another good good episode of, of positive regression. Remember, no cup series this weekend, but still plenty of action out at Road America for the Xfinity series on Saturday, and of course, the best, maybe one of the best, most anticipated least truck races of the season canadian tire motorsports park certainly looking forward to that and don't forget about this podcast because we are available on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify podbean and luminary wherever you listen to your podcast we are available if you like what you're hearing please leave us a rating or a review or tell your friend to also listen each week you tell one person a week we're going to gain a big audience and we really just want to help. And I I think it's helping because when you leave a rating or a review, it does help this podcast gain some visibility. Your help in spreading the word is just so appreciated. If you have questions, you know, we like to answer them. So hit us up on Twitter, the social medias, reach out at pause reg pod P O S R E G P O D. We will answer your questions and man, we get some good intelligent ones. David, you're always busy. What are you working on? Uh, among many things, I'm presently working on a piece for The Athletic about Eric Jones, the third person affected by last week's news. Uh, namely, this will be why Joe Gibbs Racing is right to keep him and what to expect from him and JGR moving forward. Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, I have a busy week over on Race Hub, so I hope you consider and check it all out uh, on my Twitter feed at Alan Kavana. But if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, first of all, thank you for being a subscriber. But make sure you watch Race Hub tonight because we are talking to Tyler Reddick, the late, latest winner in the Xfinity series. I'll also have a the latest What's in a Number, the number 19 doesn't have a deep history, but it does have a recent history. So I think you'll like that. Those pieces have been fun uh, to write and produce. And what else? Uh, oh, I had a good essay about uh, just all the fun stuff that has happened at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. I think they've been there six times. I won't call it a dud, but five of them have been extremely memorable, including a driver getting slapped by a girlfriend. It's just a great, it, it, it's a great reminiscing piece. So make sure you go look for that. And I talked to Cole Custer this week, who uh, has a bright future of his own. So it has been a busy week. And of course I will be up from, in Canada. I leave there tomorrow for the great, uh, the great white North flying into Toronto. So make sure you watch us two 30 on Sunday on FS one. It's going to be a packed busy week, but a fun one up in Canada, David. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Canada is a great place. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all for Canada. I'm hoping this road course race uh, isn't a circus. So you got to keep everything in check there, Alan. Yeah, and I'll be watching um what you know from 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 the Greek, from up north and uh watch on Saturday and then watch us over on Sunday. But as always, thank you guys for listening to Positive Regression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Make sure you stay positive and have an awesome weekend. We'll catch you next week.
Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.